There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Love Talk Radio. Hey, how's it going, everybody? It's another Saturday afternoon. That means it's another edition of Turf Show Radio. It's your boy, 3K. I'm actually kicking off the show today without Van because he's unable to, to get on the mic today with us. But, you know, that's not a problem when you have somebody filling in like VT Rans fan who, who brings it every week with the breakdowns and the great analysis that you expect out of a guy like VT. VT, what's going on, brother? Hey, not too much, man. Just uh, just chilling, kind of. We were just talking about that before we came on the air, about how this week's going to be a good game. And, you know, it's one of the biggest games I can remember. It seems so nice to be going into the second half of the season and playing a game that literally, you know, literally means something. And, and you know, and it's not that every game doesn't mean something. But from a playoff standpoint, our team has a good chance of making the playoffs and winning the division, and that just feels so good, man. No, I totally agree. Arsenal's got a big game, big game tomorrow, so. They're going to they're gonna have to get it on point. But let's try to keep it on the Rams this hour if we could, VT. I know this isn't – you're hyped up about – oh, that's right. You were talking about the Rams and the Niners. My bad, man. My bad. <laughs> I, I know there's there's not too many Arsenal fans out there, but that's tomorrow. But, no, we should have a good show. We should get a good show out of this, man. we got an hour to go over, you know, everything that's going on this first half of the season. you got Niners game and the rest of the season coming up, obviously, after this bye week. Uh, we can make fun of Van ad nauseum since he's not going to be here. That's always fun. And, uh, you know, we got the, the talk with Futzer. That's that fan topic of the week for Turf Show Radio. They wanted to, wanted to hear some talk about the NFC West QB situation. We can get into the depth chart. you got great college football going on. Auburn's tied right now against Georgia. So there's some great stuff going on, man. Um, I, I was thinking to kick it off since we have you on. I want to make, I want to make it VT Rams fan specific. Give, give me insight because I, I honestly don't know this. How do you go about selecting the plays when you do your breakdowns to the site? How do you choose the plays? Well, uh, you know, as everybody knows, I watched a complete game, first of all. And uh, when I'm watching the game, I, I, I try to pick out, you know, maybe the top three or four that really caught my attention, uh, mainly from the intangible standpoint. It doesn't have to be a scoring play. Uh, it could be, you know, maybe a big turn of momentum, uh, in my opinion, any type of turn of momentum type play really uh, defines the character of a football team, and I think that's some of the best plays that I could break down are those moments. So, you know, if something catches my eye, I say, man, the momentum started to change, I'll mark it down, uh, and I also go in and actually shuffle through and find those plays and then take a deeper look at each one and then kind of select from there. So it's it's quite a selection process that I go through. Yeah, I mean, it's got it's obvious that it is because here's the thing that's interesting to me. When when I watch football, I haven't played football, and the way I go about football is old school. I watch the trenches. About half the games, I don't even watch the ball. I don't watch a quarterback take his drop. I don't watch the opening of the routes from the running back. I don't watch how the running back is setting up his blocks. I'm watching the offensive line and the defensive line. So I know you've gotten plays on those. And when I, when you did that one on uh, Saffold that I was watching live, when I saw it, I was like, damn, that's a hell of a block. Then comes the breakdown. I know that you get into offensive, defensive lines, but you also get into secondary play. You get into running backs. You get into wide receivers. Are you trying to get a mix, or is it just something that happens where different guys around the team are stepping up? You know, honestly, I, I don't say, okay, this week I'm picking a linebacker. 
it's really just, oddly enough, just these different players are stepping to the plate at different points of the game. I mean, like last week, for instance, the Laurinaitis breakdown. I mean, this was the first offensive play for the Panthers, right? Two weeks ago, I should say. Right. I mean, to, to step out there, have a flea flicker on the very first play and get an interception, I mean, come on, that's, that's a huge play. Um, and it just so happened Laurinaitis made the play, you know, along with, of course, the, the pressure from, from Hall and Long as you break the play down and see, the, you know, how the play progresses. But it's really, and that's, it's, you just hit on a key thing, it really has been uh, a mix of different players just stepping to the plate, you know. It's, it's been incredible. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, that makes the segue easy. If we're going to look at the first eight games of this season, I think one of the things that you have to key on is that they're well-coached, it's a team effort on both sides of the ball, and it's comprehensive in the in the fact that if you try to attack the cornerbacks this week, it's not going to work next week. If you try to attack the linebackers this week, it's not going to work the next week. It seems like everybody's working together. So when I look at the breakdowns and I see you're doing different people, different positions, different kind of plays, that makes sense because this modern Rams team doesn't have one area that they're good at and one area that they're bad at. They seem to be getting adequate to above average in almost every single area. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I mean, the, the only area I'd like to see that I haven't broke down or had or been able to break down is special teams. I mean, and that's that's something that will improve over time, I'm sure. But but from a from a trenches standpoint, the offensive line, defensive line. I mean, when you when who I, was it you that put the uh, the uh, poll up? I think it was you. You were Van, and you mentioned you know which where is the most most of the improvement came from? I mean, it, to me, I mean the defensive line, obviously, but. It's really close. The offensive line is really stepped to the plate. I mean, you take a you know a second year guy who's banged up at, at uh, right tackle, uh, and then you take a you know a rookie left tackle, you know, and in the middle, really, I mean, we've got the bit you know the uh, the center that we picked up, you know, the big uh, free agent center. But other than that, I mean, we've been pretty banged up, and we don't really have a lot of big name guys on that line. Um, so, you know, and that's been Spagnuolo's history. I mean, he's taken guys that nobody's ever heard of for the most part and turn them into to Pro Bowl players, you know, and maybe not literally being in the Pro Bowl, but they play to that level. And that's what I love about Spagnuolo. Yeah, and the thing that's interesting to me about this offensive line, and I, I still do have some issues with run blocking, but the pass blocking has been really, really good this year, is that they don't have the consistency of other teams that are, you know, I guess that's in the position the Rams are in now that we're essentially coming out of this bye week trying to make a, a, a the first chapter of a playoff push but that we don't have the consistency of other offensive lines. You've got a rookie at left tackle. You've got a second-year guy who missed significant time last year at right tackle. You've got, you know, a right guard situation that seems to almost be in flux week to week. Uh, even last year, I mean last year, last uh, last game that we played two weeks ago at right tackle, you've got issues going on where there's not that much consistency. You compare that to other teams, Minnesota, Indianapolis, uh, you know, various teams around the league that are trying to get their, their playoff, you know, situation intact, the Jets, the Patriots, they have a lot more consistency at the offensive line than we do. And it's really impressive to me that we've been able to shuffle those lineups and still get something out of the offensive line, especially in pass blocking. When you've got that much invested in Bradford, that's not something that you can put on the line, and I think they've done a pretty good job at it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's one thing that really makes me a little nervous about this Rams team, and and I'm sure a lot of people agree, and you will too, is it almost feels like we're – you know, we're kind of teetering on that. We can either be great or we can have some key players get hurt and we could just be, like, bad. You know, we're there, there's no definition right now to our team. You know, we're kind of 
we're literally tipping one way or the other right now. So tomorrow, tomorrow is a is a is a big big game that's really going to tell us a lot about our team. You know. Yeah, it is. And I see we got a caller from 909. I just want to get this little topic over with before we bring you on. Uh, you know, I think part of that is is the fact that we're a rebu- we're almost a rebuilt team. We're at the end of the rebuilding phase. We don't have much depth. A lot of the depth guys are playing right now. Um, and, and, you know, with, with that is the case, you know, you say that we're an injury away from being that kind of a team, but at the same time, the young guys and the role players that we've brought on are doing their job, and that's got us moving in a positive position. The momentum is obvious. And so it, the teetering, I think, is something that you have to deal with as a building team. There are other teams, you know, you could look at Cleveland or Kansas City that are probably in the same position. They've got guys that are stepping up, but they're young guys, they're role players, and a lot of the experienced, developed teams, guys like Indianapolis, guys like the Jets, maybe Atlanta in the NFC, they're not in that same situation because they were built this way years ago once they got their franchise QB, once they got the skilled players they needed in position, once they solidified that offensive line. We're just not there. Or, I would say we're not there yet, but if we are there, then we just got there this year. So I think it's something we're going to have to deal with. Oh, absolutely. You know, it really comes down to finding, you know, the the four or five key players that you want to kind of rotate your whole team around. And I think we've got that with, you know, Steven Jackson. We've got Laurinaitis. We've got, uh, uh, you know, um, the quarterback situation to me is pretty much solved. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to argue about that. So now it's just a matter of, of putting the pieces around these guys uh, you know, and getting depth, be- depth behind him, and I think we're, we're this team is going to be something special for the next decade. There's no question to me. Yeah, it's hard to argue that. So, now that we're on the other side, we got a caller from the 909. You should be on. Welcome to Tertiary Radio. What's going on? Hey, what's going on, guys? How are you? Hey, what's going on, man? Who we got on the line? Who, who's on uh, air with BT and 3K this special week of Tertiary Radio? Oh yeah, this is Chris, also known as Option 27. How you guys doing? Option, what's up, man? All right, all right. Hey, um, I just wanted to ask. Uh, so I've been bombarded with work over the last couple of weeks, but I was over the last month or so. I know that four pillar story came out that was um, totally. Uh, I don't know. It was a controversial subject. Some some people were totally for it. Some people weren't. And then it obviously had an impact on their decision on Randy Moss and stuff. Um, I wanted to ask you guys' take on it because my personal view is. Um, and all of sports, not just football. I mean, you're talking about basketball, baseball, and football, and especially that we we're talking about now. You always seem to always have a couple, I don't know, crazy nuts or even like loose ends on a team um, that are always usually gambles. And out of all the years of watching sports, which is almost 25 years now, it seems to me that the good guy teams, those guys really never really come out on top as often as we'd like them to. Um, most guys got polarized figures on their teams either either just that are just controversial as hell or just had problems in the past and such. And I'm wondering if you guys believe that if they continue on this process of just adding uh, pieces to the team that have no background problems whatsoever, I mean, you got to think this goes back on this particular team when they even muddled getting Vic and then eventually went into Terrell Owens and Vincent Jackson and so on and Randy Moss and stuff. And do you guys believe that if they continue to tread this whole path that they've laid out for themselves, do you think you end up biting them in the ass, or do you think that the path that they're on hasn't caused any problems yet, so they might as well just stick with it and hope that it pays off in the long run? 
I'll, I'll jump on that first, and then I'll throw it over to UVT. I don't, I don't think the four pillars are preventing us from going where we need to go as a franchise. And bear in mind, a lot of times we just take the four pillars, and, and it becomes, you know, almost integrated into the idea that it means no off-field incidents. That's not the case. I mean, they said the four pillars are um, what I do with it. I had it right in front of me. Faith, character, core values, and team first. So it's it's more comprehensive than no off-field issues. To me, it's about locker room. You don't want divisive guys in the locker room. And here's the key to me. You especially don't want it as you're building a team. There's nothing that makes it harder to put a franchise back together than having guys that are ripping it asunder from within. So to me, the key is, as we built this core, guys like Sam Bradford, Laurinaitis, Bradley Fletcher, Roger Saffold, Chris Long, you want guys that are going to be around to help this team get to where it needs to be in the first place. That gets, that gets almost exponentially more difficult when you add people that are saying that we need to do it now. And not even we need to do it now, but give it to me now. That's not where this franchise is. This, this franchise has been in a position of building towards the future for a couple of years, and we're just now starting to taste the first, you know, bites of success with that. So I don't, I don't think it's bitten us in the ass yet. The question is, when we move forward, now that we've got more or less the core that's going to bring this, this franchise to success in the near future and maybe even the long-term future, how, how do you go about bringing in the talented pieces you need? We've talked about offensive line. We've talked about outside linebacker and obviously defensive line and wide receiver. There are some positions that we need talent on. The question is how much do you sacrifice locker room consistency and the kind of team-first mentality that you have to have moving forward that at this point, you can sacrifice a little bit of that to put talent on the field. That's going to be a big question for management moving ahead. What do you think, VC? No, I totally agree. And, 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 you know, there's a couple of things that I could say to that question would be, um, you know, where has that gotten the Oakland Raiders? You know, I mean, here's a team, I mean, a free agent comes on the market and they usually got the pen out, you know. Um, hey, how are the Cowboys doing? You know, exactly. That's exactly my point. Now, the thing is, I don't think I, I can remember – a Rams team, at least since I've been a fan, that has been more willing to sacrifice the short term for for the long term of the franchise. Do you, 3K, honestly? I mean, I d- here's, a, here's a team. It w- go, go ahead. I'll let you answer the question. Oh, oh I was going to make it short. I would say I don't, but I don't remember the Rams as a franchise being in this kind of a position. I mean, you had that, that period in the 90s where things were out of whack, but it always seemed like the, the franchise felt that it was almost around the curve, that it had almost gotten over the hill. This, that wasn't the case two years ago. That wasn't the case last year. We realized that we needed to do some serious overhauling. It took a general manager change. It took a coaching change. It took almost a wholesale roster change, and we've almost gotten there. So, no, I, I've never seen it before. Correct. I mean, Correct. It's not <laughs> It kind of happened during the Vermeil years. I mean, when they first hired Vermeil, though, wouldn't you say it just happened much more faster than we would have ever thought? Yes, definitely it happened faster, but that's the difference, is that we recognize that, look, this the entire system was flawed from top to bottom, and you've got to overhaul everything. The difference between the Vermeil years was that you had almost the same systems in place, similar management, uh, similar management styles, and even though we were promoting managers from within, they were still from within as opposed to a guy like Billy Devaney, who, who we brought from the outside. And then a lot of the role players stayed around for a long time. The, the key changes became quarterback, where Kurt Warner came out of nowhere and just happened to take over the team because of injury, Marshall Falk because of a trade. But guys like Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, both drafted. A lot of that offensive line that we had, all drafted. A lot of the key defensive players, London Fletcher, 
you know, Dre Bly, all drafted. All those guys came through the draft, and it wasn't a wholesale change. It was piecemeal, as opposed to what we've done over the last two years. There's almost nobody that's left over the uh, over the previous tenure. Yeah, and, and another thing, too, I think the whole Randy Moss situation, not to keep driving that into the ground, but I, I think uh, – I, I don't think – you know, the Spagnuolo and, and Devaney were worried so much about, you know, Randy Moss, what he was going to do to the team, more so as how the team were going to view them as, you know, sticking to their word. You know, I mean, we're only a year and a half into Spagnuolo's tenure here. You know, we bring in a guy like Moss, that's like saying four pillars, well, except for Randy. You know, I mean, what kind of message would that send the team? Um, so, so I, you know, I, even though I, I would, I dreamed about Moss running down the field. I dreamed about six or seven men in the box instead of eight to ten. But, you know, I, I'm glad they sacrificed that now for the goodness of this team. Because, you know, Randy Moss, who knows how much time he's got left to begin with? Would he really have worked out? We don't know. So, I think that's a guy. I think they were smart by passing on. But you guys don't know for sure. I mean, like you were saying, we don't know how they would have, you know, interacted with Bradford and stuff, and even the locker room. For all we know, don't you guys think that all the players that have been, you know, given everything they've had since since training camp, wouldn't it send a, a different message instead of saying, "All right, well, we don't we don't hold Randy Moss in the four pillars," you know, like you were saying, except for him? But wouldn't you think on the players' side it would be like, you know what, we've had an unfortunate amount of injuries, we could use some extra help, and then management just kind of saying, you know what, we really don't need him. Don't you think the players might feel like? hey, we could have used the extra help. We're 4-4 four four right there in the thick of the playoff race. You might, you might want to give us some extra help here. It, it depends. It, it depends on what the outlook is. If, if the question is we need help and we need it now, then obviously, yeah, that's, that's potentially the question. But like VT said, if this is a team that understands that the Rams as a franchise are moving ahead and the success that's going to come with this team isn't going to come this season, it's going to come as Bradford enters the peak of his career, as guys like Roger Saffold, Jason Smith, James Laurinaitis all develop greater, more comprehensive games, then the question becomes when do you need the help? And the answer is not now. It, it, and, and that goes back to the coach and the management. You've got to get this team to understand that we're in it for the long term because we're not players. We don't play year to year. We set up for careers. We set up for the long term. It's a difficult challenge, but the best coaches get it. You know, the best coaches understand that you get the team to understand once you're in place, then you play year to year. But until you're there, that, that, doesn't, take, that doesn't make any sense. You can't be a Kansas City Chiefs team, an Oakland Raiders team, teams that are even the St. Louis Rams, teams that are developing for success in the future and say this year's the year because all that does is ruin your franchise. The Rams are set up for, a, for what, a three, four, maybe even five or six-year run. And if you sacrifice that at the cost of having an above-average year right now, you're, you're sacrificing everything top to bottom. You're sacrificing money. You're sacrificing fame. You're sacrificing success. You're sacrificing focus. And what you've got to get the players to understand is you're sacrificing their careers. Yeah, but you, there's also an underlining aspect of it that I think we're also overlooking as a fan base in St. Louis right now. I mean, as a fan in St. Louis, I mean, I'm from Los Angeles, so I, I could – totally sympathize with how people in St. Louis must be feeling, but at the same time, if you're saying, you know, we're going to sacrifice this year for the benefit of, you know, the six-year, seven-year plan that you were talking about, I mean, when that lease comes up in 2014 or whatnot, I mean, don't you want to start generating some excitement starting now? And even with the Moss situation in general, it wasn't like he was on a two-, three-year contract. It was just, I mean, existing on his contract. I mean, that was only a one-year kind of 
situation where you guys could, you could tell your players, hey, we're going to give this a shot because they're right there in the thick of things. And I mean, any chance you have a chance to get a playoff spot? I mean, it seems at this point, late in the late in the season, you might want to have to just take that risk. But also, at the same hey, time, hey, you want to send a message to your fans. Hey, I yeah, mean, it's fair enough. You know, it's I'm, a good point. But I would say this, and then I'll throw it over to you, VT. You don't think this, these Rams have generated more, you know, excitement versus the Rams of the past? Yeah, I mean, Sam Bradford is carrying the Rookie of the Year award almost on his shoulders right now, single-handedly. But you know, without any wide receivers, you don't. If this is a Rams team that doesn't have the base excited, it may not have the national media excited the way we at Turfshow Times are. But if you don't have the base excited right now, it, it's difficult to see why that's the case. There are so many things going on right now in this season that it, that should have Rams fans excited. That I don't. I don't see that that's the case. What were you going to say, VT? I was just going to say, you know, I, I totally agree with your, your sentiment there, uh, 3K, that, you know, there has been a lot of excitement. I'm excited. You know, Randy Moss not being signed didn't turn me away. I mean, I mean I'm really excited about this, where this team's going. But what I was going to say is, you know, on paper, yeah, Randy Moss would have helped us, right? But we really don't know what was said or what was happening behind the scenes. We, we don't know that. Um, I guarantee, I find it hard to believe, hard to believe that Spagnolo would make a decision that would tick his players off. I find that hard to believe. Now, I also find it hard to believe that the team was not addressed in some way, whether it be walk up to the locker and talk to somebody. Uh, you know what? The buzz was going around, uh, and Spagnuolo knows this team. I find it hard to believe that, that by not signing Randy Moss that he put you know, that relationship in jeopardy. So, and, and there's been a lot of decisions in the past couple of years since Spagnuolo has been here that I've scratched my head and went, huh? I mean, look, Will Witherspoon. Uh, how do you pronounce his name? 3K Pisa Tina Isamoa? I think I got it right. Tino wow, Isamoa, man. Tino Isamoa. Yeah, Tino Isamoa. He was released. We were scratching our heads like, huh? Who the hell did we just hire here? You know? So, it's it, and it worked out. I mean, we got Laurinaitis. We, 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 we got uh, Brandon Gibson, who's actually contributed quite nicely last week and, and throughout this year. He has had some drops, but still... So it leads me to think, wow, this had to be the right decision for this franchise, right? You know? And there was an article written <clears throat> this week, and I think I put a link to it in one of the random Ramsdoms here, where in the – remember the New England game when New England kept all their starters in in the third and fourth quarter, and we still beat them? And I think it was Sam Bradford who said it was that moment when we knew Spagnolo had a great system, you know, that it didn't matter who we had in. His system worked. And part of that system is his decision-making in personnel. So I absolutely stand behind Spagnuolo in this decision. As much as I would love to have dreamed about Moss flying down the field, like I said, you know, I, I, something about this decision I have to trust. I, he's shown nothing but positive things from his decision, so I have to trust that as a fan right now. We'll see how it pans out, but I have to trust that. I mean, that's, I I mean, that's a good point. I, I was just going to throw this out there, and then I'll give it back to you, Option. The, the key to me is that personnel decisions in the NFL mean nothing in real time and everything in hindsight. You look at the Randy Moss trade to Minnesota, everybody in New England was saying, what the hell are we doing? This makes no sense. In hindsight, you look back and say, okay, they got something for what they got rid of as opposed to guys like San Diego and Vincent Jackson. 
Um, you, you look at the Cowboys with the overwhelming trade they made for Roy Williams. At the time, the Cowboys said, look, this is a, this is a move that's going to move our passing offense over the hump. In retrospect, in hindsight, you look at it and you say, you gave so much up. You could have had an offensive line. You still went and drafted Des Bryant, and there's a reason your team sucks and you just fired your coach. Personnel moves don't have to make sense in real time. They've got to make sense in hindsight. So the question is, as you look at the Randy Moss no signing, the, the no move, the question is, in hindsight, how would that have been received on both sides? If you look at it and it works out, you look at it and say, well, the Rams got Randy Moss, they got in a good position, but we still got things that we need to address. Without addressing it, without bringing on Randy Moss, you can look back and say, you know, we didn't get Randy Moss, but we can still address things, and this team is still moving in the right direction. It's hard, it's hard to say that signing Randy Moss puts us in a better position moving into the offseason and moving into the next couple of years in a better position than we would have otherwise. No, I see what you mean. I mean, I, as to what you were saying about moving forward, I mean, you could always fill in that void later on. My whole question, pretty much the basis of it was, um, I mean, do you think it's, I mean, I just hope it doesn't hinder their future. I mean, when they have these decisions to make in the future, when they're upcoming in free agency and drafting and stuff. I mean, like I was saying before, it seems like most teams end up having to make a gamble. I mean, even back to the old Rams team, even that Marshall Fox trade was a gamble. Because I don't know if, if you guys remember at the time, Marshall Fox didn't even want to come to St. Louis. I mean, it was, he just thought it was just a bad place to play, and he, he was pouting and shot, and eventually that turned out to be the best move the Rams ever made. So, I mean, not not just to single out Randy Moss. I was I was bringing up the Terrell Owens and the Vincent Jackson before, and even the Michael Vick from, like, a year past. And I'm just wondering if you guys hope – are you guys just pretty much just saying that this team as it is right now, they're making a proper stride to leave it as it is, and then when you're only one or two pieces away, then you're willing to gamble, or are you guys just pretty much saying – you know what, let's just keep continuing this process and just hope it pays out this way. I'll be honest. To me, the question is, isn't is whether we hope things pan out or whether we have to bring somebody in. It's, it's both. The, put it like this. If, if, it, if Marshall Falk was in his prime and a free agent right now, I wouldn't want to bring him to the Rams if it was a similar situation to Randy Moss. And the reason why is the 2010 Rams are different than those 98 Rams. You, you can't bring a guy like that onto a team that's not ready. When we brought on Marshall Falk, the defense was in the second or third year of continued success. We're just not there. We're just now tasting the fruits of a defensive labor that have gotten this defense to where it's become one of the best units in the league. You're just now getting there. We still don't have the offensive weapons that you need to create a, a positive passing game, unlike when we brought Marshall Falk on. And you already had Torrey Holt. You already had Isaac Bruce. We're just not the same level. Now, next year, next year is when you need to get serious about bringing those kinds of guys on because by next year we should have everything in place to be competitive, not just in the division but across the league. You can't look at this season and say we're not a year away. It's hard, it's hard to say that. It's hard to say that. And I know we've still got half the season left, but it's hard to say that. We're just not the same team that we were. And so to me, I think it's not about believing in the team in the long-term future or even the immediate short-term future, it's somewhere in between. I mean, this is a gray area that we're going to have to deal with over the next year and a half. But to me, it's we're close, but we're not there. What do you think, BT? I, I totally agree. And, you know, it's one of those deals where it's risk-reward. Re- risk um, right now, because we haven't really shown any success yet, yeah, we're 4-4, four and four, but, you know, the players can, like, say Randy Moss steps in, right? He starts running his chops because we're losing some games, right? At that point, the players can't go back and say, wow, we were a better team without him, you know, or, or we did well without him, right? Uh, you know, if things didn't pan out with Moss, um, the players, they don't really have any success to look back at. And I think that's a real dangerous situation with a team as young as the Rams. 
Um, and next year, the year after, year after that, absolutely. You know, you, where you've built some success, maybe we win the division, maybe we get to the playoffs. Once you start to see shown success and got some experience, then you can bring in a guy maybe and take a little bit more of a risk if you're a couple of pieces away. But now is not, I, you know, now is just not the time. I totally agree. Hey, Austin, right, man, we got, I want to thank you for the call. We got callers building up all over the place, man, but I want to thank you for calling in, brother. All right, guys. Thanks a lot, guys. Hey, Take care, man. Later, guys. Hey, VT, we got callers building up. I don't know if it's because Van's gone. You know, I told you we could make <laughs> – this is the time to dump on Van. Van gets off the radio. All of a sudden, we got callers. But I want to bring one in from the 314. From the 314, we should have a caller. You're on Tarshow Radio. 314, area code. La La Land, not happening. All right, more technical difficulties. Hey, if you're from the 314, try calling this bag. Didn't work, but we got another one coming from the 248. You're on Turf Show Radio. Oh, hello. Hello. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, hello. Powerful. It's powerful out there <laughs> oh. in the 248. Oh, hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can, man. What's going on? Hey, I had a little disco going on, but um, hey, what I want to ask <laughs> is, you know, there's some good teams. In, in, in the uh, NFC and the AFC, but I don't see too many clear-cut favorites as far as you know that you could say are going to actually be the in the Super Bowl or the NFC or AFC championship. You know, I, I like where their Falcons are going. Uh, the New Orleans uh, got me a little interested. I'm not sure, you know, with the Colts and Patriots, but who who do you like that's going to be in that AFC and NFC championship? Is there any team that'd be a clear-cut favorite? Or you just see it, it's open for a number of teams this season. Well, last season, you know, we had the Colts and Saints. Hey, VT, you can take that one first, man, if you want. Okay. Well, you know, we're still halfway halfway through the season, so it's kind of really tough to to make any type of predictions. But I always felt that November, after Thanksgiving, you know, Mm -hmm. you really know who, who the men and the boys are, you know. Uh, but at this point, I would have to say that I would not at all be surprised if we saw a rematch of the Giants and Patriots in the Super Bowl. I mean, the Giants are playing really well. One of the reasons why they're playing really well is because, you know, they're kind of getting back to that aggressive defense that they had when, when Spags, you know, helped them win the, the Super Bowl. But the second reason is they've got that one-two punch at running back, and that's something I really wish that we had right now. Um, it's just been – they are really playing well, running the ball, and then attacking on the defensive line. I mean, those are the two big keys for the Giants. If they can continue that, they're going to be very hard to beat, um, especially in that, uh, you know – because if they keep playing the way they are, there's no doubt in my mind they're probably going to end up with the home field advantage throughout the playoffs, and that's a tough place to play you know, uh, that time of the year in the playoffs against the Giants. On the other side of the ball, the Patriots, I, I think, are ready to make a run. You know, they, they haven't been sort of the same old Patriots, so to speak, since Moss left, and they've kind of lost some spark. But I see them making a decent run. They got crushed by Cleveland last week, yeah. But, I, you know, I think that's going to be kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back, and I think those guys are going to make a big rebound, I think they're going to be one of the favorites in the AFC. So right now I'd say Giants and Patriots, you know. Um, holding nothing against the other teams that are playing well in the AFC, but right now Giants and Patriots to me seem like they're kind of like up on that pedestal right now. Oh, I, I, I agree. The only thing I just, I was just going to say is I think the the Falcons aren't getting enough credit, and I'm not no big Falcons fan, but they're a team that just isn't getting talked about much, and I think 
Did anybody watch that Thursday night football game? They're a contender, and an old pretender. <laughs> Absolutely. They, they not play, to, not I, to... No, go ahead, VT. Finish your thought, man. Well, I was just going to say, uh, even though the Patriots are looking good, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised you're hearing it here if you see the Houston Texans making it late into the playoffs, you know, and, and actually making a name for themselves. Um, those guys have probably one of the best offensive line units in the league right now, uh, especially when it comes to blocking at the second level. I, I don't think I can remember seeing a team that's playing that well with an offensive line, uh, but that's really the only thought, other thought I had, 3K. I'm, I'm going to throw two teams out there, and one was playing on Thursday night, and they're not named the Atlanta Falcons. That's Baltimore. Here's why. The, the line between success and, and wishing that you had success is really, really thin in the NFL. You look at Minnesota, you know, the Percy Harvin play at the back of the end zone. They were that much closer the, the game before Arizona to being back on the slide up. If they had won that game in this last game, everybody's looking at Minnesota and saying, okay, they're going into this week. They, they, they got things turned around. Now there's a question mark there. On Thursday, what we saw was an Atlanta team that had the entire world behind them playing at home, the, the, a huge you know pedestal, a huge platform on which to show their brand, showcase their franchise, and they barely got it done. Now you can argue the you know the push off at the end of the game, whatever the case may be. If they don't get that those points, Baltimore goes on the road, beats arguably one of the best teams in the NFC, and says to Pittsburgh, the Jets, everybody else in the AFC, there's no way that you're going to get beyond this. And they're doing this without a really, really great running offense. As much as I like Ray Rice, I don't like the way they run the ball. I hate their approach to running the ball, and part of that is because they have Joe Flacco. But I'll leave it at that. I'll say I really like Baltimore in the AFC. On the NFC side, I'm going to take even wilder pick, Green Bay. Green Bay has done things with as many injuries as the Rams have faced when we were going 1-15, and 2-14, and they're winning games. They're winning 9 to nothing against the Jets. They're winning in games where they give 24 up to a, a young and upcoming Lions team. I really like the way Green Bay is weathering the storm in the middle of this season, and I think if they can get lucky and healthy enough down the stretch, they're going to be a serious, serious team that nobody wants to face when they got weather issues going on in Wisconsin. To me, it's, Green Bay and Baltimore have things that are starting to turn their way that if they work out, they get, they got a good outlook on the rest of the season. Hey, one last question, yeah. because I'm kind of curious. With, with, the, with the Eagles, who are playing some good football, Coming down the stretch, as you're talking about, Gary, playoffs, you see this as a Kevin Cobber is just going to continue the Michael Vick show, and he's pretty much taken over when they get uh, to the to the playoffs. I, I see him definitely at least a wild card seed. That's that's my prediction with the Eagles. Well, the, te- the team's good enough to get a wild card, but if you're talking about quarterback, the question is who can stay healthy. Yeah. You know, Cobb gets out of the way and Vic takes over. Vic gets out of the way and Cobb takes over. It depends on who's going to stay healthy. If one of a, I think both of them improved, despite the fact that they compl- they play completely disparate styles. Cobb is a pocket passer and Vic obviously being Michael Vic. Regardless of who's in there, they can both be successful quarterbacks. They're not the Seattle Seahawks. I'll rag on the Seahawks on Tertial Radio. I don't give a damn. But when you look at those two guys and the two styles they play, the, the Philadelphia Eagles can be successful either way. And to me, that signals that's a well-built team, a team that's built to go into the playoffs and play. The question is, when you get to the playoffs, you need some consistency and you need chemistry. You can't throw new people into the mix and hope that it works. It's too late in the season. So to me, if they're going to have a real playoff run, they have to find somebody, pick him as the guy, whoever, you know, right now it looks like Vic, keep him as the guy push him into the into the fray, put him in the fire, and as long as he stays healthy, I think the Philly, they got a good shot. they got a good shot. 
Well, I like the Colts one last uh, the last thing, but I, I think these injuries are going to catch up with them with Dallas Clark and uh, uh, Austin Collie, and there's been a couple other ones. I I, I see the Colts are going to get Gonzalez. in here, but yeah, yeah, first just first round, second round at most, they'll probably be out. But I do like that pick projection that we'll probably see a Giants and Patriots matchup because when it gets time to play out some one game and out, I. Those two teams I definitely like. You know, the only thing I, I might say is I could see maybe the Falcons or New Orleans maybe pulling off some upset, but oh well. <laughs> yeah, I totally hey, agree. And one call, thing about man. we didn't catch your name. Are you? Oh, go ahead, oh, this... go ahead. Ed from Detroit. Oh, great, Ed from Detroit. Ed from awesome. Detroit. Hey, thanks for the call, man. We appreciate it. Flat Ed. Yep. Thanks. Yep. I was just. Yeah, I was just going to say three K about the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles could be a dangerous team, you know, if they if they get a wild card or well, who knows? There's still a long season left. They're only out by one game, you know. So, but if they get if they uh, get a wild card, they could be a dangerous team to face in the playoffs. I mean, stop and think about this: how dangerous would the Eagles be if they actually did like a quarterback by committee? You know, here you are, you got teams preparing for <laughs> Kevin Cobb, and then you know halfway through the second quarter, you look over there and there's Michael Vick taking snaps. You know. I mean, that would be quite a dangerous situation for a team to face. Definitely. I'll, I'll say this. It's incredibly difficult for an offensive coordinator to put that kind of, that kind of a system together. It's not like college where you're, you're basing it almost off pure talent. By the NFL, it's almost tactics and game plans. So to, to try to bring those two game plans, I mean, think about it. If you're a right tackle and Kevin Cobb's in there, you know all you've got to do is hold your pocket, push the defensive end behind the quarterback and let him develop a pocket. With Michael Vick, who the hell knows? I mean, exactly. I have no idea how you game plan as a right tackle for Michael Vick. Yeah. I don't know. We, yeah, I know we for, want to get to the Niners. Go ahead, man. Food for thought. I mean, they've pretty much done that this year. You know, They've pretty much accomplished that, maybe not in the same game. Well, they have in the same game, technically. So sure. it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, they've got a nice team built together. I, I know we want to get to the Niners game, but damn it, VT. we got some callers today, man. we got oh, another one. Oh, man. Like, uh, 860-860, you're on Tertio Radio. Who's on Who's on the line with us, man? This is uh, Adam from Connecticut. Adam from Connecticut. Not a lot of Connecticut callers awesome. on Tertio Radio, man. Yeah. What's hey, going on? Only Rams fan in Connecticut. Whereabouts in Connecticut? Uh, my wife has family down in the Iverton area. Actually, I'm right in, uh, in Maryland. It's kind of, you know, 20 minutes from New Haven. Oh, yeah, nice, oh. nice. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that area. Yeah, see, VT's got yeah, a right there, and I, I saw a map of the United States once when I was in the Texas public education system, so I know that Connecticut's one of the states. So, <laughs> pretty similar. <laughs> pretty similar. Now, what's going work. on, Adam? What's up, man? Did we lose you? No, I'm still here. Still there, man? Hey, okay, hey, cool. hold on. What was yeah, your yeah, question? Well, did you guys want to get to the Niners game, or did you want to talk a little bit more about just the Rams? I think we definitely got to get to the Niners game because, you know, we're we're 38 minutes in. What, what's your question? Let, let's let you make the segue. Do your thing, Adam. Well, I just had a real quick thing. I wanted to know what your, what your guys' take was on the wide receiver situation going into next year. I mean, obviously, Donnie Avery, you know, and Mark Clayton both got injured. What do you think, like, next year? you think those guys are both coming back? What receivers are on the roster now? that will be there next year, which ones will be released. And what about a backup running back, which is obviously a necessity. (laughs) I'll I'll be honest about the wide receiver position. I I think it's honestly impossible to say 
I mean, you look at guys like you got LeBron Robinson, Marty Gilliard, Brandon Gibson, and Danny Amendola. There's only one wide receiver out of those four, and VT, I know you're with me. There's only one out of those four that I can say that I feel comfortable bringing back, and that's Danny. He's a, he's a great slot receiver. So that's out of your depth, guys. Out of your top two, Mark Clayton and Donnie Avery, they're both coming off of huge injuries. So I don't, I don't think there's anybody that solidified their future on this roster outside of Danny Amendola. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, 2011, it's Danny Amendola, Marty Gilliard, and brand-new Rams wide receivers. I, I think it's too difficult to say that at this point. What do you think, VT? No, I totally agree. There's nobody that's really standing out to me right now other than Danny and uh, maybe Gilliard because, you know, he'll probably get the uh, the mulligan because he's kind of new. And I heard that his biggest uh, issue is learning the playbook, and I heard he had a good week right. this week. So I think, you know, and, of course, Gilliard has returnability. So any any receiver that has returnability is pretty much going to be have a good chance of at least being on a football team. Uh, now, you've got to stop and think, too. What's been the history of the Rams receivers? Just one, just one second, buddy. What's been the history? It's been, okay, let's go into camp. Okay, let's go into preseason. Who's playing the best? Boom, there are wide receivers. You know, I think every single one of these guys, including Danny, is going to be fighting for a spot. Every single one of them. And I don't think there's anybody that's going to be guaranteed other than maybe Amendola at this point. You don't think they'll look at Denario Alexander? It depends, but the, here's the thing about Denario, and we said this. I, I said this as often as I could after the draft. I said this as often as I could when we picked him up. Denario Alexander doesn't have a a 16 game regular season knee. He just doesn't. And people that are looking at him as being the savior, look at the fact that he played one game and he was already hurt by a week later. I, I mean, I'd. I, I'd love to have his talent on the field and his size, and he's a great guy that you can plug into this offense and do a lot of things with, but you can't put all your eggs in that basket. He's the wrong chicken to do that. You've got, you've got to be realistic and say, look, if he works out, we got him on the cheap, that's great, but you can't rely on that as being, as being the focus of this offense and being the focus of a wide receiving core. And that brings up a question I might have for you, 3K, is um, – what was the purpose of us, you know, putting him on the practice squad, helping him rehabilitate, and paying him and bringing? Is it just like a, in your opinion, do you think it's a one-year thing, or do we really? I guess my question is, and you, you had mentioned you don't think he's got a 16-game knee. Do the Rams think that? You know, I, I mean, I don't, we, I don't think the, so. Go ahead, go ahead, finish your question, man. Are we, you know, do we think he's got what it takes to to actually lead this team at wide receiver for us? I mean, what, what, in your opinion, do you feel the Rams are thinking right now with DX? I don't think that they feel that comfortable pushing him out there for an NFL regular season, and they said those kind of things when they brought him on. But bear in mind that when we when we signed Denario Alexander, Denario Alexander, we still had Mark Clayton, you still had Fendi Onabun, you still had Huamana Wanui about to come back from injury. You had a lot of pieces in place that we just haven't had since we brought him on. When we lost Mark Clayton, when we lost Onabun, somebody who was almost in a similar position, an athletic guy that we wanted to help develop, but obviously hasn't had the injury history that Denario's had. You had a system in place where the coaches could say, look, there are other things that we can do in the meanwhile, in the medium term, before we feel pressed to bring Denario onto the field. When Mark Clayton got hurt, it obviously brought that entire timetable up, what, weeks, months, maybe even a year, to the point that they said, look, we have to do something now. And as soon as you put him on the field and he makes that touchdown catch, everything becomes, okay, it's now. 
And, and I understand that's the nature of being a fan, and you see that touchdown catch, and you, you see the talent on the field. It's talent he's always had. But when you see that, you say, we need him every week. And the, real, the, the problem is, is that his body doesn't match up with his talent. It's something that I talked about with Marcus Dupree in that midweek story that was one of the most read stories ever on Churchill Times, crazily. But you, you have certain bodies that just don't match up with their talent, and it seems like that may be the case with Denario. What do you think, Adam? I mean, is that, is that really the issue? Is, is, it, is it that Denario's not ready physically? I mean, what do you think? Well, I don't know if you guys ever had a chance to watch his YouTube video from his college highlights. I mean, he's, he yeah, looks I like a great athlete. That. He looks like a great athlete, but, you know, he's had, what, five knee surgeries already? Five. And, and I've never five seen or... YouTube videos, but I watched, I watched at least eight Missouri games when he was a starting wide receiver. The kid can play. He's undoubtedly right. talented. But there's a reason he why looks... he went undrafted. It's just the knee. Right. Yeah. I mean, he looks like he has that freakish talent, like, you know, we're a Randy Moss type person, but with the five knee surgeries, he's not durable. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see, man. We'll have to see. Adam, I want to thank you for calling in, man. We got other callers, and I know we got to get to this Niners game. Okay. Okay. Thank hey, you guys. thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Take it easy. See ya. Hey, good stuff going on, Tercio Radio VT, man. We yeah. got a lot of people calling awesome. in, but I know we got to get to this game. We only got what 15 minutes live before we get to the <laughs> overtime, so I see we got callers. Give us a second. Let's segue to the Niners game. What what are you looking at? What do you think the key to this game is in terms of what the Rams have to do well to be able to win? Well, I think there's going to be one goal that I that I think literally has to happen is to control Gore. I mean, he, the the Niners are going to be riding on his back this week. I mean, there's no question. And the Rams are really going to have to figure out how to stop this guy or at least get him contained. Um, one of the other big things we're going to have to do is continue our success on third down. Um, however, we're on the road, so we really need to figure out how to do that on the road. We need to keep our defense as rested as possible throughout the game and go on some nice long drives. I think that's going to be the second key. And the third key is going to be put pressure on Troy Smith. We do those three things, and we're going to have a hell of a shot at winning this game. You talk about pressure on Troy Smith. He's a guy that can accept pressure and do things with his feet. Obviously, that's one of his strengths. How, how do you think yes. the Rams can do that? Is, is it an outside linebacker issue? Is it defensive tackles disrupting the middle of the pocket? What do you think is going to be the key yes. to getting pressure on Troy? Well, I mean, there's no question that uh, that Hall and Long are playing well and they're keeping some containment on the outside. So I think the middle – you know, our tackles are really going to have a hard time. They're really going to have to be on their toes – um, now, there's no way, I would, you know, that I would be able to put a spy on Troy Smith. There's, there's no way. I mean, you've got Vernon Davis. Here's a freak tight end that has wide receiver speed and elusiveness. You know, so there's no way. I mean, if I'm the Rams, I'm, I'm, I'm telling my defensive tackles, listen, you know, <laughs> you're going to have your hands full, but I need you. I really need you this week, you know. Um, you know, I don't think we're going to be able to afford to, 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 you know, take our linebackers out of coverage. Not this week. So, yeah, the, the tackles are definitely going to be a big key. There you go. And you know what? It's ironic, man. Every time I'm on Tertio Radio with Van, I'm always preaching defense, defense, defense. Now that you're on, I'm going to go the other side of the ball. I'm going to look at the offense. I think there's one matchup that I think is really going to determine how, how well we move the ball, and that's Jason Brown against Abreu Franklin. 
Um, he's, he's one of my favorite nose tackles in the league because he's really underrated, um, especially when you anchor a 3-4. It's, it, it's a very, very comprehensively difficult position to understand. You see that when you have guys like Albert Hainsworth go to Washington and they get frustrated because the job of a 3-4 nose tackle is, is almost entirely different than being a 4-3 defensive tackle in the 3-tech. Yeah. I think Jason Brown in this game, he doesn't have to mull. He doesn't have to push the line. But what he has to do is contain the ability of Franklin to dominate the lanes that Steven Jackson and maybe even Kenneth Darby have in the running game. You can't allow Franklin to, to take a five-yard run and shorten it down to a two-yard run. We're not, we're not a very strong running team. We're just not. We haven't been this far. I don't expect us to be in the future. But you've got to maintain the viability of a run so that your passing game isn't that difficult. If, if we're putting Sam Bradford, and I know he's had great success in third and long situations, if you're putting Sam Bradford in third and eight, third and seven, third and ten all day, I, I, don't, I don't see how we get out of this game with a W. I think you've got to shorten the field and make those third downs as comfortable and as easy as possible uh, for, us, for us to get out, off the road with a win, a road win that we haven't had all season. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You're talking about Franklin. I, you know, I've been kind of looking at the Niners this week on some of the film, and he is extremely underrated. And and there has been times, I'm sure you'll agree, that Jason Brown is he struggled. He really has, you know. Um, so that is that's going to be one of the keys is you know how is Jason Brown going to respond? I mean, I mean here's a guy we paid a lot of money for, um, you know, for a contract. I mean, and, you know, he's looked great at times, and other times he's made some pretty bonehead plays and just missed some blocks. He's you know, when it comes to making lanes for Jackson, let's face it, you know, if Jackson's not on the outside, he hasn't had a lot of success in the middle here as of late. So um, that's going to be a big key. And and as I mentioned uh, in one of the posts I write, I think the big key is going to be Steven Jackson, you know, in this whole second half of the season. I mean, with this Niner game, he's going to have to, to really break off some nice runs to give, to give Bradford the short third and, you know, the third and threes, the third and twos, to keep teams guessing on what we're going to do. I mean, because this Niner, this Niner defense has struggled this year, but you know, in my opinion, I think they're a little underrated. I think they could have a breakout game at any moment. Um, so we really need to keep the ball. We need to keep these drives sustained, and we need Jackson to have a big game tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, when you say they're underrated, I mean, the truth is the 49ers defense is very, very talented. It's a very talented they are, defense. Yes. So as soon as they get it together, they can get things done. It just depends on when, they, when that actually happens. We got a caller from yeah, the three one four. You should be on the line if you're from the three one four. You're on Turchell Radio. How's it going, this is Anthony? Hey, Anthony, what's going yeah, how you on? Doing, Anthony? You got a Tur- you got a Times name or is it just Anthony? Uh, it's just Anthony. I do, but I'm not sure what it is right now. Actually, hey, I haven't signed hey, in fair recently. Enough, man. Fair enough. Hey, what's, what's <laughs> uh, my question is about uh, it's about Chamberlain getting the start. What do you guys think? It's interesting. Go ahead, VT. I'll let you take first, man. Well, Chamberlain's one of these guys. He reminds me a lot of like a, a Gary Gibson. You know, he he has moments, and of course, Gary Gibson has been has been very consistent. And don't don't hate you know, on I'll my be boy a Gibson, cha- man. I, I'm not gonna hate on Amendola. <laughs> don't hate on my boy Gibson. No, no, no. I, I love Gibson, man. I've I've publicly made that known. I absolutely love Gary Gibson. Uh, Chamberlain's one of these guys who, what I think you're gonna see with Chamberlain starting, I think. Um, you know, you take a guy like Chamberlain. He's actually not bad in pass coverage. Would you agree with that, 3K? I mean, I mean, I've seen a few plays where he actually is is very good in pass coverage, and I'm really curious to see um, how the matchup with Vernon Davis is going to go. You know, is Chamberlain going to step up to the plate? I think 
our team is so young now, and you take a guy like Chamberlain that we really, you know, he hasn't really faced a lot of a lot of people yet that that have that uh, that elite talent. So I'm really curious to see how he's going to step to the plate. But speaking of Chamberlain, um, this could give you know the Rams maybe a special teams lift too, and that's what I'm waiting for. When is our special teams going to come on fire? Um, I do like Chamberlain. You know, is he you know one of these you know elite linebackers? No. But is he a guy that could have a big game and help us out? Absolutely, you know, particularly in pass coverage. Yeah, I think you got to look at two things when you talk about Chamberlain. Number one is his style of play. There's a reason he's a special teams guy. It's because of his technique in terms of pursuit and his quickness. His first step as a linebacker is stronger maybe than maybe David Vabor, but his first step as an outside linebacker is as strong as anybody we got on the team. So when you talk about pass coverage, the reason why he can be so effective at pass coverage is because his first step, his first two steps are as strong as anybody on the team. He understands the nature of the game. He's well-versed in the playbook. He's been around for a while, and he understands what his role is, um, as, as opposed to guys like Larry Grant, Niall Diggs, guys who are, who are relying more on their natural physical, excuse me, physical abilities. Um, I think the other thing when you need to look at Chris Chamberlain in terms of starting is, what does starting mean? I mean, does that mean he's going to play the first play and come out for the next two series? What what does that really mean? If you're looking at Chris Chamberlain as a starter, I think for other guys that means more than what it does for Chris Chamberlain. Thanks, guys. Uh, Appreciate it. I guess my follow-up to that is, what do you think it says about some of the other linebackers? I I fully expect there will be, you know, enough rotation in there that, you know, plenty will will get to play, but what does it say him getting a starting nod? Is it just a you know, let's give it a give it a shot and see how he is since he can cover uh the tight ends better or what do you think that says about the other linebackers? I think I think we'll have to no, see. I, I think we'll have to see. go ahead, V T. Yeah. I was just gonna say I think we'll have to see how that gonna... plays out and whether or not he gets subbed out or not. Absolutely, and I think, you know, who knows? I mean every week is different and if there's anything we know about Spagnolo, he 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 likes to get players in who he feels are going to match up better with the other team. And you know maybe there's something he liked about Chamberlain that might match up better with with Dave, Vernon Davis or whatever. Um, but hey, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I think there's still a lot of unknowns at a lot of positions on this team, and you know how guys are going to respond in these big games is going to tell us a lot about who we're going to see in the Rams jersey next year. So, you know, hats off to Spagnolo for 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 seeing these. You know as far as the abilities of these players and giving them a chance to prove themselves, you know? And a lot of times, I, I mean, obviously it happens more in the college game than the NFL game, but a lot of times you see coaches that'll that'll look at their players and say, you know what, you had a bad practice, you're not going to get to start this weekend. So maybe this is a case of Chamberlain had a good practice and other guys had a bad practice, and he's trying to make some kind of disciplinary move that may only exist for one play. It may only be a one-play issue. But he may say, you know what, I, I'm trying to reward the people that show, like we go back to the four pillars, team first, core values, character, faith, those kind of things. Guys that are willing to put it on the field, do the right kind of off-field work, the homework that it takes to be a successful NFL player. And I'm going to award those guys. Whether or not you're talented, whether or not you're the best player at the position, maybe it's one of those things. I really don't know. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Thank you, man. Hey, hey thanks, Drew, I want to talk a little, talk a little something about uh, tomorrow's game. We're going on the road. We've got to get this monkey off our back about winning on the road. Something that you know, I had totally forgot about. I knew he he uh, Spagnolo had you know been the defensive coordinator of the Giants, helped him win the Super Bowl. But the one thing that I haven't heard anybody talk about about getting this monkey off our back is Spagnolo was on a team. They were the first NFC team ever to go to the Super Bowl, and they won three playoff games on the road. Okay. 
They beat a very tough four-seeded Tampa Bay Buccaneer team. They beat the top-seeded Dallas Cowboys team, and then they went on and played the Packers at a one-below-zero game at Lambeau Field and beat them. So do you – I mean, I feel like if there's going to be a guy that's going to turn this thing around as far as from, from, you know – maybe coaching a better game, doing whatever to motivate his players, I think that's going to be Steve Spagnuolo. He knows how to win on the road. So let's not forget that. Hey, and I, I don't think it's just that he understands how to win on the road. I think he understands the nature of, of late-season football. He's a guy you know, grew up in Massachusetts, cultivated his craft with the Redskins, Lafayette, Connecticut, the San Diego, even in the late season playing as an AFC scout. And then later on with the Eagles, with that long career that he had with the Eagles and the Giants, he's a guy that understands. I mean, you don't you don't win games without putting the work in. You've got to work. And when it comes Absolutely. to road road games, you win road games by putting in the work and being oblivious to the crowd control that comes with home field advantage by no, by having the confidence that you've done the work, you're going to be able to take this game over. I, I don't think it's something that doesn't translate. You've got to believe that this is a coaching philosophy that he thinks can make an effect. The question is whether it becomes apparent this year or next. Absolutely, and boy, I sure hope it's this year. I mean, if Everybody you know, if, if, you know it, it would it wouldn't surprise me if it did. In all honesty, you know, and, and it's, what's really strange about the way I feel right now. Hey, I'm all for the Rams winning and winning the division, winning the Super Bowl. Let's face it, but. Even if the Rams don't win the division this year, I'm still going to end the year feeling pretty damn good about the Rams. You know, I mean, this is going to be one of the first off-seasons I'm probably going to actually not want to go in the bathroom and throw up after game 16. You know, I mean, it, it's it's this has been a great year. I mean, and I think the Rams need to step into this game with, what do we got to lose, you know? I mean, hey, you know, everybody's counting us out. Let's just totally go out there and agree. play hard. You know? No, go ahead. Finish your thought, man. I was just going to say, you know, go out there and play hard. Who knows what's going to happen at the end of the year? And I think Spagnuolo's got these guys, like, buying into that, you know? And I think that's an awesome, awesome thing to have right now. I was just going to throw out, you know, I talked about the fact that the line between success and looking for success is so thin. Look at the Oakland and Tampa Bay games. We lost 16-14 to against Oakland and Tampa Bay 18-17, to both of those on the road. Oakland, if we had stopped the ball and gotten the ball back with our fourth quarter success after – Given Gradkowski the game in the third, and then Tampa Bay against Johnson, eighteen to seventeen, he had that final game drive. Those are two road games that if we had won either of those, people will be looking at us as at the easy, obvious NFC West favorites. It's that thin, you know. And I, I understand that Absolutely. a lot of times that's the difference between the obvious and the subjective, between the, the the easiest pick to make and the hardest pick to make. But if you look at the Rams. You look at a team that is right on the cusp, and I know we don't have the talent at wide receiver. I know we have a lot of holes that we need to work on, and we got a lot of depth issues to work out, but we are that close. We are that close to being one of the best teams in the NFC record-wise. we got a team, we got a call from the 4-3-2. Go ahead, VT. I'll let you finish, man. I was just going to say, you know, we could be 7-1. and one. I know you're not supposed to say could be, but we, we really could be 7-1. and one. What, if we lose three games by a total of five points? I mean – we're not – I mean, we're, we've come a long, long way. And, and even those losses, I felt good about our team because I know it's just a matter of time and putting a few pieces together. There's not this major issue that's over our head, you know, and that's what makes me feel really good about it. 
Yeah, and if, if anything else, I know we'll get to the 90s game in a second. We only got about two minutes before we go into the overtime. If anything else, it'll be nice just to get the road win issue off our back. We got a caller from the 432. You should be on 432. You're on Turf Show Radio. Four three two. Four three two. You out there? Hello. I think it's the spam ban. I think I think it's Lin Zhu calling from CheapGoods.com. <laughs> he's infiltrated Turf Show Radio. So we're we're at the end of the regular season of the, of Turf Show Radio. We're about to go into overtime. So if you're listening, thanks for listening. Thanks for all the callers. We'll get into overtime. We got some draft talk coming, but first. Any, any other thoughts on the Niners, VT? Anything you want to throw out there, man? Well, I just think that, you know, I, I'm just really curious to see what team we're going to see tomorrow. And that's on both sides. of the, Both both teams. I'm speaking for both teams. What Ram team we're going to see, what 49er team we're going to see. You know, I mean, you know, you talk about a, Mike Singletary. He's a guy who's got his team fired up saying, hey, I'd rather be in the basement right now, you know. And he's really got his team fired up for tomorrow. They're going to be playing for their lives, you know. What Ram team are we going to see tomorrow? Are we going to see a team that's going to be frustrated and say, listen, I'm sick of this road losing. You know, we're better than what everybody's telling us. We're going to go out there and kick some butt. I mean, what what are we going to see tomorrow? That's going to be the biggest thing, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, and I mean, th- this goes back to something we've been talking about all year, is that this team is on the cusp of making things happen. Now we're on the cusp of making the road wins happen. If you can win games on the road to the same degree that we've won games at home, there's no reason to think that we can't be a playoff team. There's no reason to think that we can't win this NFC West. This is really, to me, the only hurdle left. And I know last week uh, with me and Van, we went over the, the, the season predictions, and I had a lot of losses on the road. A lot of that is because we haven't done it yet. As soon as we do it, I, 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 have, a difficult, I have a difficulty believing that people who have issues with us winning on the road aren't going to turn around and say, you know what, this team can get it done. This team can win the NFC West. Exactly. You know, I'm sitting there pretending the Rams have already won, and what happens from there? I don't even know how I'm going to react to that. You know, I mean, it's it's that big a game. I don't even know how I'm going to feel if we if we beat the 49ers. And what would be even sweeter is if we beated them handedly. Then yeah, I'd like yeah, to no, that would be nice. going to say, you know. Yeah, yeah no, that would be great. And, yeah, uh, 432. I'm going to throw a shout-out to 432 area code. If you're on the line, we tried to bring you on. What's going on? Four three two oh. area code. Hey, what's going on, man? Hello. This is David. Hey, we can hear you finally. All right. Well, hey, uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, Audubon. If you think that he's got the kind of talent that a Vernon Davis does, I mean, what do you see his his ceiling? His ceiling's different. The difference between Fendi Audubon and a Vernon Davis is Vernon Davis came in into the league as a physical specimen who already had the technical knowledge, who already had the education as a football player that was necessary to translate to the league. Fendi Onovan comes in as a guy who at Houston had maybe a full year, if not, if, if not even that, as a football player. He's a basketball player who we're trying to translate to the league. And a lot of people will look at a guy like Antonio Gates who's done it, but Antonio Gates is a lot thicker than Onovan. Onovan, to me, translates to a guy like Marcus Colston over at the Saints. He's tall, he's wiry, he's quick, he's got great hips. The question is, how do you translate the physical talents to the technical talents as a football player? So while the ceiling might be, might be really, really high, 
I don't want to get a lot of people excited about that because it takes so much coaching to get somebody up to the NFL level, and Onabun just doesn't have it yet. The question is, will his physical talents bring him up to that end of the learning curve faster than usual? What do you think about Fendi on it, VT? No, I totally agree. You mentioned Colston. I mean, that's a perfect example, you know, of, of Fendi Anabon. I mean, here's the thing. It's not only – it's not really can he do it. I really think he can get to that level, I think, with, with, in time. But the question is, you know, how patient are the Rams going to be with that? I mean, here we, we got – uh-oh, we've got Fells, who's actually playing really well. I mean, and, you know, you got Bajima, who hasn't been playing bad. He's had some good moments. I mean, then you got Fendi Anabon, who's just kind of sitting there like our – you know our project. I mean, at what point do you are you the Rams? Do you if you're the Rams, do you say you know what? You know we we've, we've done this as long as we can. You know it just isn't working out. You know, it's really up to him and how fast he can do that because if he can develop those technical skills like you're talking about, 3K, I think he steps above those other guys. And there's no question. But the one big thing that people are forgetting about is his blocking ability. He is struggling against run blocking, uh, struggling with run blocking rather. Um, so he, he's got a lot, a lot to learn and a lot to overcome right now, and he's going to have to do it quickly with some of the guys we got stare, staring at him right now on the roster that he's competing against. Sure, and a lot of the reason why he's struggling with blocking is because blocking is so incredibly technical. It, it, most people think that blocking is just the nature of being big and being strong. That's not the case. It takes footwork. It takes shoulder placement. It takes the use of hands. Blocking is one of the most technical aspects of football that you can possibly incorporate into offense. So you can't just throw a big body, a strong body, a great athlete into an offense and expect them to block. It takes more than that. For Onabun, I don't think the blocking necessarily has to be a key to his position. And like I've said before, he, he to me, becomes one of those kind of shifty guys that you put at a tight end slash wide receiver position. He doesn't necessarily have to line up at tight end. Put him at tight end and then have it, put him in motion out to wide receiver because that's where his skill set lies. The question is, how, how well does he understand the route tree? Right now, it may be really difficult for him. He's, he's a guy who doesn't have a lot of experience at the collegiate level, and to understand the NFL route tree is going to take more than what he's got this far. But as a project, it's just like Denario Alexander. If you're invested in the long term, the ceiling is there. The, the potential is there to get your values worth and a lot more if they're willing to spend that much time out of him. But if the Rams get really good really quick, he's somebody that could see just falling off the wayside. Well, what about Brandon Gibson? You know, I've heard that he has problems like being a really hard worker, having the, the, the great attitude. And, you know, he's frustrated me because he came in first game, had several catches, and looks like he has good hands at times. And then at certain times he looks like a fourth or even fifth receiver. I can't get my handle on where his upside is. That's tough to say. What do you think? What do you think, BT? What's your assessment of Brandon Gibson in year two? My assessment of Brandon Gibson in year two is inconsistent. You know, and I think you hit the nail right on the head when you said, "I just cannot get a read on this guy." You know, um, anybody that follows his Twitter account, I mean, I've been following it and reading some of his comments, and he's like, he's a very positive guy. You know, gonna get it done. Sorry, last week was bad. He's a funny guy. He's funny. He is. He seems like a really great personality. He. He, he sounds like he really, really understands what he's got to do, but for some reason he just cannot do it consistently. And I think, you know, if you take away a lot of his drops, I think you'd be talking about him as being maybe up near the Daniela uh, Amendola caliber of, of, you know, hands and catches and, and reliability. You know, so I, you know, 
it's really up to him. There's a lot of questions mark, question marks with, with Gibson, not just him. I mean, and we talked about it earlier in the show. Every single other one, one of our wide receivers has that same inconsistency, and you just can't get a beat on them. You know, I mean, at some point, what's going to have to happen for is one of these receivers is going to have to step to the table and be a clear-cut guy. You know, that hasn't happened, other than Amendola, obviously. Uh, but Gibson, you know, I, I really can't get a read on him either. You know, I, I think he's got the passion for the game. He's got the atti- he's got the attitude. He just cannot carry it over to the field for some reason. I don't know why that is. I'll throw something out there, and I know this is this will put a lot of people on the anti-Brandon Gibson train. Brandon Gibson reminds me a lot of a wide receiver that we had on the Rams, except that Brandon Gibson has a lot better athleticism, a lot better yards after the catch ability, and that's Keenan Burton. Keenan Burton and Brandon Gibson don't don't have the technical ability to run routes on the inside. Every time you see Keenan Burton when he made a catch for the Rams, every time you see Brandon Gibson when he makes a catch for the Rams, it's pushing out to the sideline. He does a good job of occupying the space, the comfort that the the out-of-bounds line gives you, and then using his athleticism, using his agility to make some extra yards after the catch. The problem is to be a wide receiver, especially in a short passing game like we employ, you've got to be able to go over the middle. You've got to be able to use your physicality to gain some space, make a catch, and then take the hit for what may only be a six-yard game. Brandon Gibson, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to be able to get that kind of mini separation. It's not huge separation. With a quarterback like Sam Bradford, you don't need three yards. Just give him a foot. If you give him a foot, he's going to put it in your hands. But Brandon Gibson, for whatever reason, can't run those three and five routes. And, I mean, that's just the case. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's something that he didn't get to to work on at Washington State. Maybe it's something he hasn't gotten to to develop while he's been with the Rams. But for whatever reason, he's an out-of-bounds line guy. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, you take a look at two of the touchdown passes against the Panthers, the one I'm and the one that fells. I mean, Bradford put it in the bucket. I mean, it was – I mean, I don't think the guy – I don't think they had, what, five inches of separation for the most part? If that. If that. So, you know, so – you know, it's, it's just a matter of him putting, you know, will, for some reason when when Gibson gets in traffic, he becomes a different person, a different player, uh, and I can't put my finger on it, you know. I mean, maybe part of it is that he's not a wide receiver, he's just an athlete. But the question becomes how long, how, how long of a leash do you have for an athlete who's playing at the wide receiver position? It may be the case that, this, that the leash is becoming incredibly shorter. We'll, we'll just have to see, man. Absolutely. Who's the wide receiver from Minnesota who's retired now? Chris, uh, oh, goodness. He's on ESPN now. Um, oh, you're talking about Chris Carter. I, Chris Carter, yes. I'm sorry. I don't know why I just had like this big brain fart on that. But he was talking about a similar situation with some other receivers. I think it might have been for uh, uh, for the Eagles or something at one point earlier in the year. And he said, you know what? He said, to be a receiver and to – he goes, I don't care if I have three people on me. You know, I'm going out there, and I'm going to catch the football. And I think that's the attitude that Brandon Gibson has to develop in order to overcome this inconsistency. You know, he has to say, you know what, the ball's in the area. I'm going to catch it, period. But keep in mind, Brandon Gibson's hands aren't the best. They're they're nowhere comparable to Chris Carter. Chris Carter is a, a Hall of Fame caliber wide receiver. He can go into traffic and catch balls with his hands. Gibson hasn't shown this that ability. He's a he's a body catcher. But as long as you get him open on the outside, whether it's a curl route, a flat route, a drop route, an inside out route, he can he can get that ball across his body and then make things happen. He seems like a guy that makes more after the catch than he does before. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I think comparing Gibson to Carter <laughs> probably isn't a very good thing, but 
but yeah, I, I think I think his intentions are there. I think I honestly think Brandon Gibson really wants to do well. I don't think it's a a lack of effort or anything. I think it's just it's just his experience and 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 maybe even his ability. You talked about his hands not being the best, you know. And uh, when it comes to not getting much separation, you need to have your hands even better than than, than a normal uh, wide receiver. You know, you really got to have some phenomenal hands to be catching passes in traffic like that. And that's just something he doesn't have right now or hasn't shown. There you go. Thank hey, you anything else before? Hey, thanks a bunch, man. I appreciate it. Boy, it sure makes you sad that uh, Clayton went down. It hurt. I miss him a lot, man. It hurt. <laughs> when I when we lost that game, I, I came on to the, the, the game thread late, and, you know, I see we were losing to Detroit, and I'm like, oh, man, this really sucks. And then somebody said, yeah, it's too bad we lost Clayton, and then I, my heart just fell to the floor. You know, I, I knew how valuable he was to us at that time. And, uh, yeah, my heart goes out to that guy because he, he's a first-class individual, too, you know, and it really it's really sad to see that type of stuff happen. You know, it just, it yeah. just seems to happen to the Rams. I don't know why that is, but it's the way it goes. You never know, man. And thanks again for the call from the four three two. We're about to wrap it up, but I think the key the the key difference between Clayton and Gibson is that Clayton could make things happen on the inside and the outside. We saw him used on those short slants, the kind of dink and dunk stuff that has become the the nature of this Rams offense. But at the same time, you saw him running down the sidelines and making catches. As long as you can do that, you can be a productive part of any offense. And that's why Mark Clayton has had a longer career than a lot of other guys. Exactly. You know, when you start having success in multiple different areas of of, uh, of routes, that really gives you more separation because now you've got the defenders on their heels wondering what you're going to do. And you take a guy like Gibson, I'm sure that the, the tape is out there and everybody knows his strong points. You know what I mean? So, so they're going to force him to do to do to go into his weak areas, and that's exactly what's happening to Gibson. You know, they're saying, okay, anything over the middle, you know, he hasn't been as consistent. They're going to be they're going to be covering those outside, you know, sideline type routes. So. That's why you see the Rams, I think, fizzle out after a couple of quarters sometimes is because, you know, at halftime the team's going, they look at the film, they see what, where our strengths are, and then they make that adjustment. And I think our players, particularly a wide receiver, have a hard time making the adjustments and running the routes that they should be running against the defenses that, defenses that, they're, that they're seeing. So um, I think it all comes down to consistency and having a receiver who can run multiple routes and do different things a la Mark Clayton. I can't I can't disagree with that man. I th- I think that's classic VT Rams fan analysis this week on Tertial Radio, one of the first and hopefully not the only time. VT, we got about three minutes before we gotta wrap it up, man. Any draft issues? And I say that for three minutes. I know there's plenty to talk about. Uh, Auburn <laughs> you know, looks like K, they just went I... for a touchdown against Georgia. Well, what's on your mind in terms of the draft? I know that's a long ways away. We got Niners this weekend. Thinking about the two thousand eleven yeah. off season. It's difficult to get to, but if there's anything that's striking you in terms of draft-related issues right now, what is it? Well, I think if you're looking, and again, I'm not a big college football guy. I like it. Don't get me wrong. I just I don't know the players in depth like you. You're like the, uh, uh, I can't even think of the guy's name on ESPN, the draft guru there on ESPN, you know. But you got McShane and you got well, Kuiper. There you go, Kuiper. You're like the Mel Kuiper of Tershaw Times. But, you know, you talk about, I mean, I talk a little bit about team names. Obviously, wide receiver. I think we're going to be possibly looking at a wide receiver because I don't really see any big free agents coming out that we're going to be interested in this year. Um, I think we're going to be drafting a wide receiver. I think uh, we're going to be we're going to have to look really strong at a backup running back. You know, I think 
you know, the timeline for Steven Jackson is going to get worse and worse as we get better and better. And I think we really need to get a change of pace back for, you know, to complement Jackson. But there's also another position I think that we need to look at, and that's going to be guard. You know, and I think Van talked about that a few weeks ago. Um, I think that's a position that could that could really bite us in the butt if we don't address that this this off season. You know, in the draft. That's great points, and like you said, you know, me and Van have talked about guard. We talked about wide receiver almost every week. I want to bring up a fan post that uh, Buckeye fan fifty five dropped a couple of hours ago earlier this morning. Two thousand eleven draft random notes on players and NFC West teams is the title. But it gets at the issue of how we focus on drafting players. And here's what I want to address. If, if the rest of the NFC West, and I know we're late on the top, what is it, Fatat will put, sir, what a, the topic of the week chosen by fans to address NFC West quarterbacks, if the, the rest of the NFC West goes after drafting quarterbacks, do the Rams as a draft strategy have to focus on attacking the quarterback in terms of a pass rush? Is it almost that kind of a chess match where, the Cardinals, the Seahawks, the Niners, they want to work on improving their quarterback situation. Do the Rams have to counter that by saying, you want to improve your quarterbacks? We're going to go after our quarterback you know, pressure. Is that something you buy into as a fan? What do you think? I, I do, and I think you kind of have to play that way. I mean, it's no secret. I think, you know, these teams are taking note of Sam Bradford. They're taking note of, of, of you know, how we're rolling them out. They're taking note of all of our strengths. I mean, you have to look at the division and try to prepare for it, you know. I mean, I think it'd be it'd be ludicrous not to do that. Um, it's kind of like uh, back in the Reagan administration. We're talking about, you know, if you have a, you know, a, a country that's, you know, building 40,000 tanks, would you build 40,001 tanks? No, you build an anti-tank destroyer. destroyer. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's this very similar thing in the NFL. You know, you have to look at what other teams are doing and, and kind of work your way around that because – I guarantee you, people are taking note of the Rams right now. Yeah, they they're kind of taking us a little lightly, a, a little light at this point. But they know where we're headed. I think at this point in the Spagnolo uh, tenure, I think you kind of know what direction he's going to take us. I think he's going to he's got Sam Bradford. He's going to surround him. He's going to protect him first of all. Try to surround him with weapons and then play aggressive defense. You know. I, and I think I'm not going to lie, VP. When, when you open the door between the correlation between military theory and NFL draft strategy, <laughs> I got I got a little sweaty. I got a little moist. I got a little excited. <laughs> but in, in, and you know the terminology of, better than I do. But. <laughs> but let's bring it back to the Rams battalion. The, Ram, the you know, Let's bring it back to Central. If you're focusing on how to improve this pass rush, it's been, it's been damn good this season. You know, you look at the fact that the Rams have, what, 23 sacks, I think, on the season, one of the best in the league. How, how do you improve this pass rush? It's obvious that this is going to be a pass rush that's designed by by collaboration. It's not happening like other teams where you rely on your defensive ends. It's not a 3-4 where you need your outside linebackers. This is a comprehensive right. pass rush. How do you improve on a unit like this? Do you need talented defensive end? Do you need to improve defensive tackles? Is it outside linebackers so that when you get those coverage sacks, your outside linebackers can hold coverage longer. What do you think? What do you think the the primary need is to improve in terms of uh, of overall improving the Rams' pass rush? Well, we need help in the middle. I mean, that's no secret. We need help in the middle. But let's also not forget something. As good a year as James Hall's having, you know, he's not getting any younger. You know, so I, I think if we do not address anything on that defensive line this year, I think we're crazy. You know. That's that's the first thing you have. You literally have to address that this off season, no question. 
secondly, I, I think you really need to look at an outside linebacker as well in the draft. I mean, we, we have a lot of needs still. Let's face it. You know, I was talking earlier about a wide receiver and a backup running back. You know, we need a lot of things on defense, too. Defensive end. We need a, a defensive tackle. We need some help at outside linebacker. I mean, how many picks we get this year? Eight, right? Seven or eight? <laughs> eight yeah, and, and you mentioned backup running back as well, so that's an offensive need. Exactly. And you know, guard. So, and guard. So, do, do you balance it? Do you focus on just one side? Do you, you know, there's a lot of question marks on this team right now. This year we're playing great, but you know, we got to have. Now, even though everybody feels, and myself especially, feels that we've made all the right moves in the draft, we made all the right moves in the off season. I mean, for the most part, I mean, as good as but any team could do, as far as I'm concerned. We need another year of that. You know, we screw up this year and this year's draft, guess what? All that work previously gets kind of not really flushed on the toilet, but, hey, now we're going to be on our heels for another two or three years. This year is going to be almost as important as last year's draft. You know, we did all the right things last year, but, hey, we need another year like like last year in order to really solidify this team in the next decade. Hey, one of the great – and we can end on this. One of the great things about being a team that's coming up to the middle is that the pressure on the draft in the offseason – and the pressure on performing in the regular season is equally as high, and it's as high as anybody in the NFL. Yes. You've got a team that's in first place pushing for the playoffs, and yet we're talking about a draft saying this is as important as it gets. This is as big as it gets, man. It, it's great to be a Rams fan right now because you recognize that Absolutely. the pressure's on, and if you succeed under pressure over this, le- what, next 12 months, you're going to be a playoff team. It, it's great to be a Rams fan under that kind of environment. It really is, and I think we're the one team right now that doesn't have a whole lot of question marks. You know, yeah, we have question marks as far as skill set and who we're gonna who we're gonna have on our team, but from a management standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, from a quarterback standpoint, you know, the three biggest spots on a team, as far as I'm concerned, and from a you know middle linebacker standpoint, our foundation is set, and now it's just like having the whole outside border that puzzle set. Now it's just a matter of filling in those pieces. And I'm feeling really good about where we are right now. Hey, VT, I, I want to thank you for this hour, man. Well, hour plus. I know hey, we've gone overtime. My but pleasure, man. I got, a call, I got a tweet from Pat Shermer before the show. He said, I, I didn't know if Tershow Radio was going to come out with the right offensive game plan, if we were going to attack the callers the way we needed to. And he was really impressed at the way you brought it to the forefront. You really worked the sidelines. You really brought it up the middle, everything. You stretched the field on this episode, man. Thanks, brother. Hey, man. Well, hey, you know, I, not only can I stretch the field, I'm pretty good at the dink and dunk, you know what I mean? And that's uh, <laughs> that's one of my strong points. <laughs> Another episode of Tershow Radio, man. It's as good as it gets. Next week we'll have Van Ram. Hopefully, VT, you'll call in. We'll get you some time, man, because I know you deserve it. Thanks for everything you do for the site, breakdowns and all, man. My pleasure, man. It's been great to be on. There you go. Another week. Rams. Another game. This is as big as it gets. 49ers, playoff implications on the road. Any last words, VT? I just want to say that, uh, man, you know, my heart's going to be there with the team tomorrow. I mean, anytime you see 49ers and Rams in the same sentence, man, I am—I get fired up. I mean, and I will say one last thing, that if I almost feel like I could participate tomorrow somehow. I mean, that's how strongly I feel about it, albeit I might be handing out Gatorade, but I could be doing something, you know what I'm saying, 3K? If you could suit up at one position, what would it be, man? What would it be? Uh, honestly, quarterback. And I'm a big guy, but I, I've always <laughs> loved the quarterback position. 
<laughs> there you go. Hey, Sam Bradford, keep an eye out, man. Pete's coming. Absolutely. Hey, thanks a lot, VT. It's been a great episode. I'll play cornerback if it's needed, but I know with Bradley Fletcher and Bron Bartell, they're not going to need me on the line. Another week, another episode of Tertio Radio, another Rams game. 49ers coming at you 4 o'clock, 4.15 Eastern, whatever the time may be. Get hyped up. Get hyped up now because it's going to happen. Uh, Tertial Times, got your Rams coverage locked down. Do your thing. Holla at your boy 3K. We're out. See ya. When it rains, hit the lake. Experience the best in weatherproof fun at Bolero. Bowl, play games, and treat your taste buds to Bolero's signature menu. Don't get wet, go bowling. Visit Bolero.com for hours and weekly specials. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out.